ready for some word today? If you have a Bible or Bible app, get it out and turn with me to Psalm 27. Psalm 27. If you're new to the Bible, Psalms is right in the middle. Middle of the book. I started a, a new series last week. It's kind of a, it's going to be a shorter series leading up to Resurrection Day. And, and uh, I believe this is something that God wants us to hear, to know, to, to walk in. It's called the blessing of the house. Everybody ready for part two? How many were here for part one? Wave at me if you were here for part one. All right, good for you. The rest of you, if you want to hear part one, it's available. There's no charge. <laughs> it's free. Go to, our, go to the website and watch it, download it, listen to it, and get caught up. Psalm 27 and verse 4, David writes here, One thing I have desired of the Lord, that will I seek, that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life, to behold the beauty of the Lord and to inquire in his temple. And so it's quite a statement for David to make that he has boiled it all down to this one thing. He must have seen something. He must have experienced something in God where he would make such an outstanding statement to say, I only need one thing. If I can just be in the house of the Lord forever, that's enough. I'm satisfied. I'm full. I, my life is, is a good life. And so if we don't have that same mentality, you might wonder what we haven't seen, what we don't know, what part of God, what aspect of his glory are we unacquainted with? Where, where if we were, we would make similar statements. Where we wouldn't start trying to squeeze church in when we have time. We would say, no, 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 this is what I live for. If they would let me, I would stay there. We'd do church 24-7 because I've seen how good God is. Turn to the, the 84th Psalm then. Psalm 84 and, and verse 4. 84 verse 4, it reads here, Blessed are those who dwell in your house. They will still be praising you. And so like we've said before about that, why would someone still be praising the Lord? Well, obviously something happened in the house that gives them good reason to praise. And so when someone does not dwell in the house, they're going to have more reasons in life to complain. But those who are permanently connected to their participants in the work of God in the local church, they will have tangible results in their life that will cause them to say, praise God. They'll be praising God on Monday, not just on Sunday. Why? Because it worked. Being with the people of God, being in the presence of God, worshiping the Lord had a real dramatic effect upon their life that they're still praising God. It's one thing if you used to be praising, but are you still praising him? Okay. And so there is then an inherent blessing upon the local church. Now, if you're not sure if the house of God is the local church, you missed last week. Okay. Uh, but there is an inherent blessing on the local church. And even more specifically, it is very helpful for all of us when we are connected 
when we're planted, when we are involved in what God is doing there, that these blessings will manifest and be obvious in our lives. Okay, now listen to this one. Psalm 92, 13. Psalm 92, 13. Those who are planted in the house of the Lord shall flourish in the courts of our God. Again, notice the tie. Planted, flourish. Planted, that obviously he's using the analogy of, you know, botany, (laughs) plant life. He's not just talking about plants. He's not just giving you gardeners and farmers instructions. (laughs) Stop digging up the tree. (laughs) Uh, That's an obvious. He's talking about people, comparing them to plants. If people would be planted, they would flourish. Okay, so the planted nature is different than occasional attendance, which has become popular in these last days. Uh, That's why the scripture says in the last days, don't do that, because God knew that people would do that. So he said, don't do that, so we'd know. And if we did it anyway, at least he could say, I told you so. (laughs) I warned you against it. But the psalmist said here, he said, if you're planted, you thrive. If you're, or he said, you'll flourish. That's my next verse. If you're planted, you'll flourish. I want to flourish. And so I see, okay, this is the method. This is not complex, but don't let it be so simple that you overlook it. Say, ah, I haven't been doing that. No wonder. <laughs> Listen to this verse in the, the Christian Standard Bible. Psalm ninety-two, thirteen: Planted in the house of the Lord... They thrive in the courts of our God. So think flourish. Think thrive. This is the will of God. This is what he wants for us to flourish, to thrive. What what does it require? Planted. We must be planted. Listen to the N-I-R-V. You know what that one is? Look it up. 92.13. Their roots will be firm in the house of the Lord. They will grow strong and healthy in the courtyards of our God. So I'm looking at all these words translated from that Hebrew. The word thrive, flourish, they'll be strong and healthy. I'm thinking, I want all that stuff, right? I mean, I don't want to survive. I want to thrive. I don't want to just make it through to the end. I don't want to have that mentality in life. When I see God has something better for me, I want to thrive. So I just simply need to attach myself to what he uses to bring that thriving, flourishing, healthy, and strong life. That's not, again, that's not complicated. I just need to connect. I just need to be, be a part of. Now, this is true of the general Um, it's a general statement concerning the local church, meaning not just ours, everything that God is doing, the local church around the globe, but it would have a higher effectiveness, a greater manifestation when we are connected to the specific local church that the Lord leads us to be a part of. Okay, If you are a believer, it's not really up to you. What I mean by that is God will let you do whatever you want to do. He's not twisting our arms and he's not forcing us into submission. But a wise Christian who really calls Jesus Lord, they will say, Lord, where do you want me? 
what, what family do you want me to be connected to? It's not a, just about personal preference. It's about assignment. It's about the leading of the spirit. Everybody with me? Why do we want to follow that? Why is that important? Well, because God's highest and best blessing is attached to it. Uh, where, where someone um, attends, connects in the local church will determine relationships, sometimes lifetime relationships. It will, it will create opportunities. That's why, uh, it, it, I mean, people sometimes hit their hands with sledgehammers, I hear. <laughs> well, it's sure nice when, if, when you're ushering with someone else who has faith in God's healing power. And they will, they'll say, give me that hand. Bam. And they get healed. Say, so what, well, what if that person wasn't there? Well, I guess that wouldn't have happened. So I just really value the leading of the Lord and saying, I, I treasure your house, period, in general. But specifically, I have very high, I hold in high regard that to which you have connected me. Amen. Praise God. Now, it's interesting when you read uh, some of these studies that people do, secular world does, concerning church attendance. Aside from, if you didn't even have these scriptures, I mean, if you have them, you don't need the next part, but just to add something to it. Even these studies, they do surveys and study groups, and they find really good results for people who are connected to the local church. Um, These these things come from uh, Pew Research Center, New York Times, Heritage Foundation, and others that have put out these studies. They say things like this. 78% of couples who attend church together report being very happy or extremely happy with their relationship. So that's all you could get out of it. A better marriage. Just by going. That's pretty smart. You're a smart cookie. (laughs) Uh, Churchgoers are more likely to be happily married and express a higher satisfaction with life. Church attenders have, a, have a, a better, a stronger immune system and decreased blood pressure. And they add up two to three years to their life. And the New York Times said that. You know they don't want you to go to church. They said it anyway. Wow. Uh, Kids who attend church are less likely to be involved in violence, theft, vandalism, or to struggle with substance abuse problems than their their peers. Uh, Teens with church-going fathers are more more likely to say that they enjoy spending time with dad and they admire him. That's worth a few bucks right there, huh? Yeah. Yeah. uh, churchgoers are happier. Let's see. Church involvement moves people out of poverty. Imagine. Who, who would ever say that? Uh, should we go to church today or, or should we not? Well, it depends if you want to be poor. <laughs> if you don't want to be poor, you might want to go. Studies show. Right? Uh, it leads, uh, one study show it leads men to become more engaged as husbands and fathers there's also lower risk of developmental and behavioral problems in school-aged children. And, uh, and, and there, there's, there's more. There's, there's something about depression and stuff, too. Where was that? Uh, saw that in here somewhere. Oh, yeah. Less depression, 
more self-esteem and greater family and marital happiness, according to another study. You're going to go to church today? Well, it depends if you want to be depressed. <laughs> if you don't, you might want to go. <laughs> Isn't that interesting that just those studies, just, just attending church, now watch, when those kind of studies are done, they're not deciding if someone goes to a good church. I mean, no, they're not all equal. I'm not just saying we're perfect, but I'm saying not everything that has C-H-U-R-C-H on the building is doing the exact same thing. Okay, so if you were to somehow get a stat on just the really good ones, I'd like to think we're one of them. I think those, those numbers would go way up. You'd see a much more dramatic shift in a positive way. So, because that's the case, because of David's experience, because of this expert exhortation of you're going to praise God on Monday, that's my translation, you're going to can still be praising him, I like to ask, how can we make our church amazing? How can we uh, structure, conduct, uh, how, how can we make this church what God thinks of when he says, I want you to be the church, have, the, have church, do church? What's in his mind? How can we have that our reality? And, and so in this process, in thinking about this, uh, actually, several years ago, I, I started uh, writing about a church that I didn't want to attend. And also, I would say it, it's also a church I don't want to pastor. <laughs> if a church has certain characteristics, I want to say, stay away from that. I'm, I want to run from that. So I want to give you that list. There's 10. All right. 10 things. And, and maybe you can help, help make Life Church amazing. Will you help? Depends what's in the list, huh? <laughs> the, the church I don't want, number one, number one is a dead church. I don't want to go to it. <laughs> I don't want to pastor it. I don't want to do church just because it's called church and in some kind of religious obedience, but I want it to be alive. I don't want a dead church. This is referring to the way that people worship. It's referring to the way that the teaching and the word of God is, is brought forth. Uh, many times people become dead in their lack of responsiveness to the spirit of God. God moves, they don't. The spirit speaks and they look off into the air. God, the, the spirit of God moves in, in, in praise and worship and manifestation of his glory. And they're oblivious to it. It's just kind of dead. I don't like that. I don't want to be that person. I don't want to be a part of a, a church where, where very many people are unresponsive to the Spirit of God. They have such a reserved mindset. How many think that God likes us to be expressive? It's not limited to just a few personalities. I'm probably not naturally overly expressive. I'm more reserved. But when it comes to the things of God, I mean... He's just too good to keep it in. He deserves our praise. He deserves a response. Amen. And we ought to be responsive. Some, sometimes uh, those who think, well, that's just not me. Well, except when you're angry. <laughs> Have you ever noticed sometimes people, they'll be super reserved unless they're upset. And then they'll, out comes a beast. 
Out comes a roar. Out comes, you know, their anger will be expressed. Their frustration will be expressed. But when something is exciting, something is happy, something is good news, they're reserved. Hmm, yes. <laughs> That's a conflict. That's, that, th- 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 there's a problem there. It sounds like we honor the negative more than we honor the positive. Come on, be responsive to the Lord. In your private prayer life, when you read the scriptures, when you come in here, be a responsive person to the things of God. Be alive and not dead. Isn't that what they say? You know, maybe you've seen it on shows or maybe have seen it in real life. But when someone gets in an accident or their heart stops and they'll say, they're unresponsive. All right. If we had the medical personnel come in here, (laughs) would they say that about our spiritual life? They're unresponsive. <laughs> Call the morgue. <laughs> that church, they're, okay. <laughs> well, I mean, seriously, how many know sometimes people will be responsive to things like sports? Yeah. Uh, you know, they'll take their clothes off and paint themselves blue. <laughs> and do all kinds of, you know, I mean, I realize that's not most people, but people are often responsive when they're cheering for something that they like in that way. But when it comes to church, all of a sudden they put on this different mentality. It's like, wait a minute, wait a minute. That's not who you really are. Or do you devalue the things of God? He's not worthy of an expression. Or has pride snuck in? Hallelujah. I don't want to go to a dead church. Number two, I don't want to go to an idle church. I don't want the idle church. What's idle? Idle is when people aren't doing anything. Idle is when people talk about what should be done, but they don't actually do anything themselves. It's always someone else's responsibility, someone else's job. Yeah, they should do that. Now, if you're new here, you may speak about our church as they, but how many know if you decide to stay, it should become us? It's never they. Well, they do. They, if, if all the churches are they, you're not a part of any of them. Until it's we, till it's us, till it's my. Hallelujah. And so an idle church is, is those that don't, they're not active. They don't do anything. Think about walking into that church. No one does anything. They just point. They talk about what should take place. Even when it comes to the gospel, we talk about the lost. Oh, what a sad thing. How many people don't know the Lord? What a sad situation our country is in. What about the people in our, in our valley? So many people are lost and they don't know the Lord. Well, if we talk about that or even pray for them, that's a good heart. But can we take it one step further? Tell them about Jesus or invite them to church. Bring them to church. That would be active as opposed to passive or idle. I see a church where everyone's doing something. Everyone's active. Everyone's participating. Everyone is saying, we're a part of the greatest thing in the universe. God himself is involved and I'm a part of it. Number three, I don't want a late church. I do not want a late church. Ever notice that we like to start on time around here? Why? Well, we we show honor to people by doing that. And you ever notice that God is never late? 
We want to be like him, imitators of God. He's never going to be late. I think he's very, very timely. I think church ought to start on time. Every moment should be important. We're not wasting time. Why would someone be late? I realize this might be in someone's face, but I came in after the music started, so I don't even know. So just chill. Just look straight ahead. Point to the person next to you. But why would someone be late for anything? Well, maybe it's not real important to them. Maybe they lack excitement about what's taking place, so there's no urgency to catch it all, to get it all. It might be just a lack of of personal excellence in their life, punctuality and reliability. Those kind of people show up late for things. I think it's a good practice, character-wise, for Christians to be on time, like, for everything. But most importantly, I realize we all have issues at times. There's things that come up. But most importantly, if we're talking about the things of God, man, the people that show up, they're on time, they're ready or early. That says something about what what they think about what's happening. I don't know about you, but I've been to that church where everyone shows up late. I've been to more than one of those. The small ones and the 10,000 plus and, and half or more of the people come in after the church service starts. I can remember sitting there as a visitor thinking, where is everybody? In both the small and the big thinking, wow, this place has 6,000 seats and there's only 1,000 people here. Or the, or the, the building that has, they had uh, only 300 seats, but there's like 20 people there. And then after a couple songs come in, then people start rolling in. I'm thinking, ah, that didn't give me a good feeling as a, as a new person. These people aren't very excited about what's happening here. They've got other stuff going on in their life. And I just think, that's not the church I want. That's not the church I want to pastor. Number four. Everybody okay? <laughs> breathe in, breathe out. Okay. No, number four. <laughs> you have to breathe for this next one. Uh, is I don't want an old church. <laughs> I don't want an old church. What, what do I mean by I don't, I don't mean I want old people to go away? Because someday, a long time from now, I'm going to be old. Way off into the future. Like, even when I'm eventually, I'm still not going to want an old church. What do I mean by that? I think you know. I mean, I don't want it to be only old. I don't want it to a church that loses touch with younger generations. A church that is so set in their old ways that they maintain the culture from decades previous and younger people, kids and youth and young adults can no longer relate to anything we do because we're so out of touch. A good church, a thriving church, church that is what God intended, reaches children, reaches teenagers, reaches families, reaches young adults, young marriage, and all the way up to elders, elderly, senior citizen, whatever you want to call it, old people. <laughs> Amen. And so I don't want a church that's so entrenched in their style that they won't do what it takes to reach others and to reach younger people. You, have you ever heard the seven last words of a dying church? They go like this. We've never done it that way before. 
Number five. Number five, I don't want a weird church. A weird church. Now, understand what I mean by that. I don't mean people from Portland aren't welcome. <laughs> they are welcome. You may say, oh, I'm a weird person. You're welcome. You may think I'm weird. Okay. What I really mean by, by that is uh, sometimes in churches like ours, I'm talking about spirit-filled charismatic type churches, you know, flowing and glowing and <laughs> blowing in the power. Uh, sometimes churches like ours have a more likelihood for people to be weird in the name of God. Weird and they make it spooky spiritual. You know what I'm talking about? And, it, and it's, it may be, maybe God's moving on them, but they kind of act out in ways that, that new people go, What? It just seems odd. And the, the reason I, I say I don't want that is not because I really care how you act out in your relationship with God. You can do whatever you want as far as I'm concerned. But I also want a church that reaches people. And that is where we can be powerful and normal. We can be, how I many you know, you can be filled with the Spirit, speak in tongues, and still have a conversation with people without shaking. Without seeing something. You don't always have to see something. <laughs> right? Not every conversation is about a dream you had last night. And how you're trying to figure out the interpretation. <laughs> Hallelujah. <laughs> Amen. Anyway, I just really believe we can have a powerful move of the Spirit of God and be relatable to people at the same time. Sometimes what we bring in in the name of God. If this bugs you, just chill. Are you talking about me? Of course I am. <laughs> if you ask, no. <laughs> I'm just saying sometimes, because I may do this too, is we attach some of our, you know, even Pentecostal baggage to, and we attach it to be identical with God. And it's just a style. It's just one way of doing things. I, again, am I saying that we do everything perfect and normal and godly? I'm saying we try. <laughs> And we should strive for that. We want to reach people who don't have a clue. You might be here new today and saying, I already think this is weird. Okay, well, we're doing our best, but you also check on the inside. You'll see that God loves you. He wants to work in your life. And, uh, and most of us, maybe everyone but me, most of us are pretty normal. All right. Uh, uh, we're pretty, you know, we'd be a good friend, a good neighbor, a good coworker. And, uh, Praise God. Even in Jesus' ministry, you know, sometimes he'd show up and demons would manifest. Yeah. That definitely can seem kind of weird. You know, demons would speak out, we know who you are, Jesus, you son of God. And you notice what Jesus didn't do? Hey, everybody, come over here. We got a manifestation of a demon. No, Jesus didn't draw attention to it. What he did is he said, shut up and come out. He was very strong. He didn't want the devil taking center stage. Oh, we got a manifestation. Woohoo! Big deal. It's the wrong kind. I'd rather see a manifestation of healing or a word from God or understanding come or peace or joy or not a demon. You know, some friends that, that have ministered in, in, in Africa have told me about some of the ministers that go there, they have tent meetings. They'll, they'll, they'll have a big tent for a, a, an evangelistic crusade, and then they'll have a smaller tent next to it. 
And they said, what happens? Because there's so many manifestations of demons on that continent. Because they worship snakes and all these fake gods, those demons enter people, and they, when they manifest, they do weird things. Okay, and they're just weird stuff you see in the scriptures. It's happening there. These demons are manifesting through people. And what they do, he said, they don't let that dominate the service. Where you got thousands upon thousands of people there and all of this, everything stops because someone's manifesting. He said, what they do is the ushers grab them and drag them to the demon tent. <laughs> Literally. And people there cast devils out of them. Cast demons out of people. And then once they're free, they can go back in the service. Yeah. That's a way to deal with weird. Number six. Number six, I don't want a broke church. Church I don't want to attend. Church I don't want to pastor is a broke church. I don't want a church that can't afford to do what it's supposed to do. And represent the quality for which God is and his kingdom deserves. Okay? A, a broke church, a lot of churches are broke. I, I don't want to go to a church where, where they're begging me for money. I want to go to a church where they'll teach me about giving and receiving. Giving and receiving, both sides. Not the poverty church that just says give it all away. Giving and receiving. Be balanced in the scriptures. But a, a, a broke church, you know, again, they can't do anything. You know what that's like. If you've ever been broke or are, you can hardly put gas in your car or go on, let alone go on a vacation or, or you know, buy a house. <laughs> when you're broke, you don't have mobility. You don't have flexibility. You can't do it. A church, when a church doesn't have money, it really puts the clamps on, on what it's supposed to do. And, and, and that's why I don't want to go to a church where the preacher, and again, I know that's me in this situation, is afraid to talk about giving and receiving and finances for fear of what some people might think. And, and I understand, the pastor knows what some people think. The pastor knows that some of you came to church today and we, you think we just want your money. I know that's true. It's not that you think that. It's not true in reality. But I know that people think that, so there could be a pressure. Don't ever touch the subject. Why? So at the end result, we can't do anything. We can't have, have, have the funds to do the ministry that we are supposed to do. Come on. Everybody okay? Yeah. Now, we don't worship money, nor do we value poverty. We don't want to be in either ditch. I mean, I know, I know sometimes preachers fall into this because they feel maybe self-conscious, maybe their theology's off, but they brag about their cheap car. Well, I just drive, you know, I just drive an old such and such a car, it's a 19-something, and it's got 800,000 miles on it. I don't really spend much money on myself. I'm thinking, why are you saying that? Why are you saying that almost like boasting, like that's a spiritual badge? You're a bad example. That was harsh, wasn't it? It's like, teach your people that God's blessings work. I mean, don't you give? Hallelujah. Number seven. Number seven, I got to speed up here. Number seven is I don't want a boring church. I don't want a boring church. God is anything but boring. There is such a misconception about who God is. People, some people actually dread eternity, potentially in heaven. They think, I don't want to go to heaven. I don't want to sit on a cloud forever playing a harp. I mean, what are we going to do? Talk about a snoozer. 
And, and watch, the devil actually sells this to people on some level. That's not what I want. I want to go to hell where, 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 where the party is. Oh, Lord. <laughs> I mean, my heart breaks for that person who's deceived like that. When they find out there's no party. And in the presence of God is, you'll never be bored for a second in eternity. You'll never, your kids will never <laughs> say, I'm bored. There's nothing to do. <laughs> you will never have that experience. God is just not that way. And because I know that about him, I, start, I think this way. May I represent heaven well. May we do church in such a way where it's not a misrepresentation of the exciting, awesome, glorious power of God and all that he is. I think church shouldn't be boring. If, if it is, it's on me. Or it's on us for misrepresenting or not knowing him or not representing him well. Church ought to be life-changing. It ought to be exciting. It, it, we ought to, I ought to be determined that I am to bring the word in, in a way that represents God correctly. So church, I don't, want to, I don't want a boring church. I don't want to go to it. I definitely don't want to pastor it. Because then it's largely my fault. <laughs> But you know what I'm talking about. Number eight, I, I, I do not want a self-focused church. Self-focused. This is a church where people are consumed with their personal preferences, needs, and wants, and they're not focused on others. They're not focused on the lost, on the mission of the church. It's all about me, what I like, what I want. It's inward-focused. It's not outward-focused. Uh, these are the same people who they turn into complainers and the discontent, they nitpick, and they're always finding out and discussing what's wrong, at least in their own minds, and they're not looking for solutions. Let's, let's be in this together and be others-minded, outward-focused. We have good news. Number nine, number nine, I don't want a legalistic church. A legalistic church. I don't want a church that focuses on things that don't matter much. Uh, I want to major on grace. On putting into practice policies and procedures and programs that actually reach people. Rather than just looking for a way to disqualify everybody. You're not good enough. You're insufficient. You haven't done it long enough. We're just looking for every reason to say you can't do it. You're not good enough. You're insufficient. Rather, the grace of God is magnified. I don't want a legalistic church. It's all about dress codes and laws and requirements and, you know, majoring on extra biblical rules. The Pharisees in Jesus' day did that. They took their traditions and they put them up on the pedestal. And they said, you've got to do all these things. And they added to God's word. And number 10, number 10, I don't want a sloppy church. I don't want a sloppy church. It's the kind of church that does the bare minimum. All right, they don't go out of their way to, to do things right. Facilities are, are dirty and in disrepair and no attention is ever paid to detail. I think we should do everything we can do to do what we do with excellence. Because we represent God himself and he is most excellent God. Praise God. Now, as, I, as I've said these things and I've, as I've, I've shared these thoughts with you, 
you might ask, I would want you to ask, where is that applicable to my own life? What am I supposed to do with this? Well, and again, you might not have to change 10 things. Maybe there's one or two in there that really registers with you, and you would say, you know, I could step up in that area. I could make a little adjustment. Because what happens is, if all of us take a couple of these and say, just take it up a notch. Just take it up a notch. Just be a little bit better here. What happens is the atmosphere in this house totally goes up. It becomes a more accurate representation of who God is, of heaven, of his word. And, and then the result is when more and more people come in to experience it, they're not experiencing such a watered down version of what God intended. But it's closer. It's closer to what he had in mind. And they go out saying, praise God. Man, my life was touched. Man, I was changed. I think I met God today. I think, I, I, I think I, I'm a different person. And on Monday, they're still praising him. Why? They came in contact with the house of God as he intended for it to be. And like David, they say, ha, huh, this is it. This is it right here. This is all the thing I've ever, ever wanted. This is all I need. This is the answer to my heart's desire. This is what my heart has been crying for all my life. And I found it in that place. It's not that God just exists here. He exists everywhere. But we are a manifestation, one manifestation of what he wants to do in the earth. So what a privilege and what a responsibility to represent him well. Amen. All right, pray with me today. Father, we thank you. You're so good. So good, so good, so good to us. What a good, good father you are. What a good, good God you are. Help us, I pray, each and every one to represent you well. Help us to do church like you want us to do church. Help us to be the Jesus, figuratively speaking, that some people will see. Lord, we give you the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. Thank you, Holy Spirit, that you move in here. You always have. <laughs> you always will. You're even moving in here now. You're answering prayers. You're touching people's lives, healing people's bodies, giving them hope for a better tomorrow. Thank you for doing what you do. We couldn't do this without you. We couldn't do this with just our brain power and our efforts but we do need you and we thank you that you are here. The moving and manifestation of the Holy Spirit. We give you all the glory, all the honor, and all the praise. For you do all things well.